In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Mr. Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. Hello, kind sir. How are you today? I'm a happy guy again because we're talking about what I love to talk about is competitive advantage. Oh, I love it. Yes, competitive advantage. And this is the second part of a two-part series. And, you know, we kind of encapsulate what we do in Peter Drucker's quote that says, innovation is easy. Just put people in teams and have them work together. The problem is nobody knows how to do it. <laughs> I just wish we were a little younger and we could work with Peter Drucker because we could have actually showed him, you know, there oh, is a process. Been, yeah, that would have been so good. There, I, I knew a guy who actually drove him to work uh, when he was teaching at uh, Claremont or whenever, uh, wherever it was. And I was like, oh, can I do that? Can I drive him to work? Yeah, I'd love to drive him to work. Unfortunately, Actually, if, we I lost had auto- him. if I had automatic door locks, that would have been really great. I'm sorry, <laughs> you can't leave until <laughs> you're here. You're stuck, right? <laughs> but, you know, the challenge with the quote, it's brilliant in its own right, like many quotes, and that's why everybody is drawn to memes and everything these days. But the challenge is that it's too general right? So we're going to talk today about how to generate these big ideas and then take those big ideas and put them back in the box. And, you know, if you want to learn about ideation and implementation, which is putting a team together to figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, we just recorded a podcast on the specific steps of doing that. So You can go back to ideation and implementation, and we talk just about the process. But for the purpose of this podcast, we'll be continuing part two of how to use the Hoodoo Method as a competitive advantage based upon the well-known Johari window. So in part one of the series, we discussed innovation, right? And then the place that most businesses play is that low competitive quadrant of the Johari window. And that most businesses, well, about, it's about 90% of them claim they want to be innovative, but typically they respond to innovation either by killing the idea or running with a bad idea. But either way, and I know, Alan, you call this fool's gold innovation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we want to be innovative. Woohoo, let's go, let's go. And it's like, eh, eh. <laughs> and so either they kill the idea or they run with a bad idea but either way you're going to be out of balance and at the end of the day you have to have your team in order to make that difference so if you can't get that buy-in from your team in regards to innovation they are really your boots on the ground absolutely in either of those ways kill the idea or run with a bad idea because you don't want to talk to the people who have things that can go wrong, then either way it doesn't end well. And so, and uh, let's see if we can explain that by use of uh, Johari's window uh, because it's, it's sort of like uh, people are really flying blind here. And uh, so uh, those of you who don't know about Johari's window, 
It's named, uh, this sounds really mystical, it's named <laughs> after two guys, Joe and Harry. And we, oh. we look, researched it. We <laughs> were like, this has got to be like, you know, not real. But no, it's true. It's yeah. based after Joe and Harry, which I love, right? Yeah, We've got to come up mystical. with our own window. Car yeah. and Alan, you know, Carla and Alan. A boarded up window, something Car like out. that. <laughs> So uh, most of us are stuck in, and oftentimes don't even realize it in the bottom part of this quadrant. And so if you can imagine a window pane with four quadrants in it, the lower left is what we know that we know and everybody always operates there. We want to look like the smartest person in the meeting and so forth. And there's also what we know that we don't know. And people are a little more reluctant to, to reluctant to presence that, but at the same time, you find out there's something you don't know. You say, hey, I'm going to go learn about this and, and bring it back so we can do what we're going to do. But the problem is it doesn't do anything to keep people from, as Carla said, number one, kill the idea or run with a bad idea. And it also dooms your company to be incremental, which we'll talk about uh, in a couple of minutes, but let me uh, share with you that where the opportunity is. If you are stuck in the lower two quadrants, you are going to be repeating the same cycle again and again and again, where you're stuck between that. Uh, uh, killing the idea, the big idea, or running with the bad idea. So the, the way out of this is to move up into the quadrants, and particularly the right quadrant, which is what you don't know. That you don't know. This is the scary part. This is all the stuff you don't know. And so there's what you don't know that you don't know and what you don't know that you already know. We'll get to that in a minute because that's really like, what? How am I going to do that? But there is a way to do it. So what you do is uh, you say, okay, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know that I don't know. Let me find out what that is because there is where the opportunity lies because the opportunity is to be different. So you go into that area. What I don't know, I don't know. And you entertain some possibilities. For, that's where the big out-of-the-box ideas are. Uh, now, the interesting thing is it's scary to be doing that. But w there is a point where, because a lot of us feel like we're not prepared, we're, we don't know enough, you know, scary ground. But once we get through that and start presencing some of the things, you know, oh, let's go into artificial intelligence or let's, uh, you know, let's fly drones around and see what happens. Then once you get into that and become familiar with it, you'll realize that when you go back into yourself, your own preparedness, your own knowledge gets you into the upper left quadrant, which is that what you don't know that you know, or in this case, I didn't know that I knew, or... I didn't know that what I already knew could be very useful mm -hmm. because once you understand a lot about artificial intelligence and you understand, like, Oh, I can apply it to what I already know. Exactly. Cause people are working to make it commercially viable and simple, simpler to adopt. So, you know, that's the way the world works that we just don't call it that. So once you get into this, you know, that's the golden place is on that upper quadrant and to move back and forth between what you don't know, you don't know, which opens the door to new opportunity and ideas. But the way to bring an idea back into the box so you can implement it, one of the ways is to get into what you didn't know that you already knew. And, you know, you're a lot better at this than you thought you were. And that's a pretty happy thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you're better at it, but it's also that 
you already have everything you need, right? To be able to implement that thing. Right. Yes. And, and that's a good point because, uh, you know, Alan, you talked about bringing it back into the box and I know that's what the focus of the podcast was, but even when you were talking about it, it's so funny because everybody looks at, Oh, we have to have the best idea and it's got to be this great big idea. Right. And, you know, it's not necessarily about being really, really, really creative, even though what, what's the, um, uh, Blue Ocean Strategies numbers, <laughs> you know them better than I do. Oh, yeah. If you play in what they call uncontested market space, meaning you, you have implemented an idea that nobody else has, then you will get approximately twice the revenue of your competitors who don't play in uncontested market space and four times the profit. So, and, and just think about it. If you're, a, if you're a category of one, people have to come to you. Who else are they going to go to? So, uh, so it, it's all there. It's just that the how to gets tough and that's what we're helping with today. Yes. And, and there's the breaking point of ideation implementation. So again, go back to the podcast, listen to ideation and implementation because it talks about the step-by-step process that you can use. But for the purpose of this podcast, when you talk about the idea, of course, that's ideation, bringing it back into the box is going to be implementation. Right. And so I always say to many people all across the world that I'll take a mediocre idea any day over a big idea that doesn't get done. And that's that's the sad commentary on the world we live in, because it's like settling. You've had to settle for that because uh, you know that a big idea is not going to get done. Because all of us who don't know what we don't know, we don't know there's a better way to do it. Yeah. And so I can understand why you think, uh, you know, moving the needle a little is still uh, better than uh, implementing a great idea that doesn't happen at all. But one thing to know is that if your competitor implements a good idea, that just reverses uh, what we were talking about before, I'll take a mediocre idea any day that gets implemented over a big idea that doesn't get done. If your competitor implements a big idea, it basically marginalizes you. And so it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're uh, making a better buggy whip, as they used to say, uh, you're, you're improving on something that's already been uh, uh, where the game's over because you're not in the game anymore. So, so what we are trying to do here is to change that where it gets a lot easier to implement a big idea. You can do it. And if you're equipped to do it, it, uh, life can be quite good. Yeah. And with that being said, Alan, and I, um, you know, identifying the different levels of innovation, but you, even if you're innovative on the front end, you have to be weary of the challenges on the back end, right? So you can be innovative on the front end, right? And you've got these great ideas and you're nimble and you're, you're small and you don't have to have 50 people approve something to have something move forward and whatever. You have to be weary that eventually you go from, because this is the law of diffusion of innovations, people, 110 years of marketing research, how people adopt new ideas, and we're not changing human nature anytime soon, right? 
Right. <laughs> and so you have to be aware that there's this bell curve that happens in business. And right. So we start at these startup stages, but then we grow to a certain point. And at the, you know, and after we hit a certain market penetration, then naturally we are aiming towards a different, you know, dynamic. And our whole focus is don't jump over the team just to go to the customer. Right. Um, right. And how to coordinate the team in order to get to that point, to have that option of, you know, first starting out with a great big idea and getting it done. But then what happens with most businesses from a big picture standpoint is that they have to actually buy innovation. They buy it through acquisitions and mergers because they've gone too far down that bell curve on the law of diffusion of innovations that they're not creating new ideas. They're just right. implementing. And then, of course, sadly, what they'll do is impose their culture on the company they acquired, mm. and uh, they'll kill the goose that laid the golden eggs. All the, all the extremely innovative people will be gone, and a lot of the customers will be gone, and uh, it's just uh, that's another thing that doesn't end well. Yeah, so it's balancing those two, right? It's like the team and the customer. So you have to understand both internally your team where are you on the law of diffusion of innovation who innovations i should say and who are you speaking to and then customer wise separate those two because we've always been taught that we only focus on the law of diffusion of innovations with a customer and the closest thing we ever got to that was simon sinek start with why right which is hugely yeah. successful but it's like how do you even know okay speak to the why Okay, that makes a lot of sense. At the same time, that's why our assessment internally with the team identifies how people adopt new ideas. So how do you generate them? How do you pick the idea, the best set of ideas? How do you poke the holes in the ideas? And how do you get that entire team behind the idea so you don't have to actually innovate through you know, acquisition? Yep. So uh, let's do a couple of examples. Uh, we've talked before about uh, there being several kinds of uh, in innovation. Um, pretty well known that there's uh, the spectrum is the most uh, disruptive. It's called radical innovation, where the whatever you're doing is new to the entire world. Think about uh, the iPhone that Apple did that uh, was lauded as uh, uh, to the 20th century what electricity. Uh, was to uh, the 19th century, you know, the innovation of the century or the 21st century or whatever it was introduced in and uh, versus uh, breakthrough innovation and in sort of in the middle, which is something new to your category where you can borrow something from another category and bring it in. And then uh, the most common, of course, is incremental in innovation where you're just uh, you know, continually making improvements to things. It's sort of the approach of the Deming and quality and so forth. And you can make a lot of headway that way. But it's uh, two interesting companies to contrast are Apple and Amazon. And probably the biggest force in Apple was Steve Jobs, who uh, his motto was the idea has to be insanely great. Well, how are you going to get something insanely great out of a company? You know, everybody can buy into the idea, but the things you have to do to implement that idea, you've got to be autocratic. And certainly Steve Jobs had a reputation 
for doing that. Yeah, I've even heard that people like didn't want to be on the elevator with him because he would look over and say, what do you do? And if they didn't have an answer, they'd be fired. Yeah, they'd be fired or they'd be, you know, completely embarrassed because they're being read the riot act. Yeah, and and we've heard even other stories with, uh, you know, our good friend, which we won't name names here, was the first person that Steve Jobs called when he got put back in charge of Apple. And he had some really interesting ways of being autocratic. I think it was maybe even a different word for for it based off of his methodologies but you know we can't deny that it didn't work right yeah well it that's one way to do it and uh so so there's one end of the spectrum and then the other one uh is uh jeff bezos and uh and amazon it was really interesting while steve jobs said his you know pretty much his mission was to do something insanely great Jeff Bezos had a mission of uh, in the mid '90s of being the best internet bookstore, <laughs> best bookstore on the internet. <laughs> it, okay. Well, it That's is kind exciting. of juxtaposed. It's like, huh? Like first you start thinking, huh? And then you're like, but there are no online bookstores. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and in a sense, he was uh, taking something that was already there using somebody else's disruptive innovation, of course, which was the internet and, uh, and riding on the wave of that. But, uh, just as Steve Jobs, that's changed just a little bit, right? I mean, they've been able to go up that ladder based off of that incremental kind of stay, but good night. They lost money for 14 years. What company can do that? Well, and you know, what changed the game was the internet. Suddenly you can do that because of the the dot-com exuberance, they say. Whereas Steve Jobs, unfortunately, couldn't do that because, uh, you know, Apple started in the early 70s and they were a computer company and they're supposed to make money every quarter. And uh, they went through a lot of hard times. uh, And so they were held to different standards. Yeah, that's a good point is the different types of innovation, but being clear on that. And then really, regardless of what type of innovation you choose to run with, is that you have to go out of the box and then bring that back into the box, right? So you want to be different. You want to get that two times the revenue and four times the profit based off of the fact that you can create these ideas, but then you have to pull them back into what you're already doing, right? So if you want to learn how to bring that idea back into the box, you have to get into that top left corner of the Johari window, right? And then you need a a process for doing that. And that's exactly what we teach is, you know, 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. And of course, that's Edward Stemming. And so understanding there is a process by which you I identify what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Not only to make it three to eight times faster, just to get that hundred percent buy-in from the team because the team is the most critical, you know, portion. And I don't care if that team is just you and one other person or, you know, a team of a hundred or a team of 40 or whatever that is. But, you know, you have to have a process by which you adopt what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, no matter what type of innovation you choose. That's right. And generally what happens is we're using the wrong process. And, and in order to understand this, it's really important. Or not no to, process at all. Or, 
no process at all, which is you know, typically what we approach. Right, right. And so now one of the things that's, that happens with people, and, and especially, uh, I'll just ask all the listeners who, uh, um, when you have an idea, probably the first thing you think of is, oh, this could be pretty good. And then if you really like, you say, hey, this could be great. Oh, man, I could be famous. You know, this is incredible. I love this. Let's do it. And then all of a sudden, you think about presenting it to somebody. And they say, wait a minute. They might not like my idea. They may not see things the way I do. Oh, they, may, they might think I'm crazy. In fact, they might uh, uh, not like my idea and not like me. And pretty soon, I lose my job. And then I, you know, then I can't eat and I starve to death and then I die. So uh, um, that's a little extreme, but uh, yeah, but that's a shaker's view. That was definitely because a prover would never even. They'd be like, "It's not going to work anyway. It yeah. doesn't matter." <laughs> a maker's <laughs> like, "Just give me my job back." <laughs> so it's your choice, but if if you want to be greeted with a nice, uh, warm, fuzzy uh, down quilt for your ideas, or you want to slap in the face with a cold piece of raw liver, it's really up to you. Uh, but what happens is that what we've done here is introduce the idea of fit and sequence. And fit and sequence just simply mean this. You gotta have the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And the handoffs are everything. So if you have an idea and you're what we call a shaker, an idea person, make sure that your output person is a mover. And uh, because that's, that's a person who's going to, yeah, that's you. And I love, <laughs> I love ideas. Because you, you're going to say you love it and then be uh, practical about which one you go with. And as a shaker, I don't care which idea you go with as long as it's mine. <laughs> so in other words, what we're talking about here is put the right people in the right place, fit in sequence and reduce fear in the corporation. And one of the things that Deming, the quality guy, that was his like number one goal is to decrease and get rid of fear in the company, in the organization. But he really didn't have any processes that would do that completely and especially in the area of doing something new because nobody knows how to do that. And so this is uh, one of the great benefits of uh, learning the hoodoo is to reduce fear. Reduce fear, not of just doing work. Everybody's okay when they're working in their strengths, but reduce the fear of handing it off. Oh, I love that. It's a, a process by reducing fear. You know, I never thought about that, but that's exactly what the Hoodoo Method does because everybody gets to be a part of it. So they're not stressed in the different ways that your core nature of work actually makes you stressed or what we like to call in corporate America um, employee engagement right? Because we get disengaged for different reasons. And so, you know, it reminds me, you have to share your uh, bottled water story because actually Alan created the idea of bottled water way before it was actually (laughs) bottled water, but it was just too new of an idea. And so share with that, share that story with us. Okay. So uh, this is a time, uh, some of you, uh, may know this, uh, is that Coors Beer didn't have national distribution. In fact, they refused to distribute uh, their product, their beer, east of the Mississippi. 
And, uh, you know, so if somebody went to Colorado and said, hey, I'll give you some money, just bring me back a case of Coors. <laughs> Coors. It had this great mystique because people want what they can't have. And uh, so what was the uh, written on every can of Coors? It said, pure, brewed with pure Rocky Mountain spring water. And it's like, well, uh, I'd love to be a distributor in the Midwest of uh, Coors beer. Uh, but, you know, there's no way that could happen. And so uh, one day I had a, uh, an idea. Well, wait a minute. It's pure Rocky Mountain spring water. I wonder if there's a way we could sell that to people. And so I told a bunch of people about the idea. And they said, you're out of your mind. Nobody's going to pay for water. What are you going to do? Put in a bottle? And yeah, nobody's going to pay for bottled water, right? Like, that seems ridiculous now. But, but I mean, what year was this? That was about uh, 1970. Yeah. <laughs> Most of you were, you know, a thought in somebody's head by uh, about that time. But, uh, yeah, there's just, there was no way. And so being a shaker, I said, thank you for the objection. I've got to figure out a way to make people pay for water. And so the the what it came to was... Uh, uh, a lot of people at the time were paying quite a bit of money for really, really fine scotches and bourbons and things like that. Still, people drank a lot of a lot of uh, uh, distilled spirits, and uh, so I said, "Well, wait a minute. Here's the pitch. What if we just say that if you're going to pay twenty-five dollars for a bottle of uh, uh, Crown Royal or Johnny Walker Black, the best whiskey, why would you drink tap water with it?" <laughs> Why not put the best water in the world, pure Rocky Mountain spring water into that? Yeah. And, and it was a little too innovative for 1970. Yeah. Nobody wanted to do that. So uh, they couldn't bring it back in the box. That's basically what you're saying. It was yep. crazy innovative, but how do you bring that back in the box? They had all the ability to bring it back in the box. Yep. Because they yep. had the processes, they had the systems, right? And it was like, who would do that? Well, you know what is funny is my background is finance and any gas station and anybody who's been in finance, and this is way back in the day, uh, the best gas stations and or, you know, the two things that are harder to finance than anything are restaurants and gas stations, but, and that's for various different reasons, but in gas stations, the largest margin of anything they sell is water. <laughs> yeah the what largest margin is bottled water and so it was funny because we were working with this customer and they had many 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 i think it was like 20 some gas stations all across the nation we're like why wouldn't you like apply to get your liquor license he's like oh no 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 that's too much trouble i get a much higher margin on right. bottled water yeah so here we are the world the world changes and uh so how do you change the world is you implement a new idea. Yes. And the, and the piece is bring it back into the box, right? Take it out, run the process, figure out what we're going to do, right? Have everybody adopt it and then bring that back in the box. That reminds me even of Airbnb, right? I mean, they started out, um, their whole company was selling air mattresses and trying to talk people into letting people stay in their extra bedroom on an air mattress and then serve them breakfast the next day. I didn't Right know. Now they're the largest hoteler in the world, right? So they went crazy. They were like, how are we going to sell these air mattresses? Okay, let's go out of the box. 
uh, talk people into charging $80 a night and then serve them breakfast the next morning in their wherever they want to go and venture out to, right? But they still brought it back in the box by, they're the largest hoteler in the nation and they don't own any real estate. Yeah, and that model was already there for them. And that's uh, because using software to optimize something, I mean, Amazon did that just by adding reviews to their to their books. And, and so they just made it easy via software and the internet for people to get into that business where there was a pen, pen up demand to make, uh, make more revenue off your house. And that's a great example of incredible. the fourth what? quadrant of Johari's window because w once they said, well, what if we just did a, 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 a bed and breakfast thing and didn't, you know, forgot about the mattresses, make it an intangible business. Well, suddenly they go into the, what I don't know that I know meaning what I didn't know that I already knew. And that's okay, we got a business. <laughs> and all they did was, yeah, apply technology to it, right? Yep. Like they, exactly. And so that's how you bring it back into the box. So I think we could go on for hours on this conversation, oh, Alan. We're, we're just slightly, <laughs> slightly inspired by the conversation we've been having and passionate. I, I'm not sure if the listeners actually hear that. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, you can go. We are validating our assessment right now. So if you'd like, you can go to our website, The People Catalyst. And that's plural uh, because we need you all, but not at the same time.com. And uh, you can take it there. It will be free for a very short period of time, actually, right now, because we're really closing the window on that. And Mr. Fadden, is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Uh, no, just don't close Johari's window because there's where the opportunity is, thanks to Joe and Harry. Yeah, Joe and Harry, cheers. Cheers, Joe. <laughs> cheers, Harry. Yeah, you got it. All right. Thank you. And until you. then, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.